This is In-Ear Insights, the Trust Insights Podcast. AI Academy for Marketers is an online education platform designed to help marketers like you understand, pilot, and scale artificial intelligence. The AI Academy features deep dive certification courses of three to five hours, along with dozens of short courses, 30 to 60 minutes each, taught by leading AI and marketing experts. Join Katie Robert, CEO of Trust Insights, and me, Christopher Penn, Chief Data Scientist of Trust Insights, for three of our courses in the Academy. Five use cases of AI for content marketing, intelligent attribution modeling for marketing, and detecting and mitigating bias in marketing AI. The Academy is designed for manager level and above marketers and largely caters to non-technical audiences, meaning you don't need a programming background or a background in data science to understand and apply what you learn. One registration gives you unlimited access to all the courses, an invitation to a members-only Slack instance, and access to new courses every quarter. Join now and save $100 off registration when you go to trustinsights.ai slash AI Academy and use registration code PEN100 today. That's trustinsights.ai slash AI Academy and use registration code PEN100 today. In this week's In-Ear Insights, we have a special guest, uh, John Wolf, uh, the co-host of Marketing Over Coffee. Katie Robert is on vacation, uh, enjoying some well-earned time off. So this week, we're going to talk about consumer AI and recommendation engines. We had um, Oz Dussole write in and say, like, why is consumer AI, why are recommendation engines so bad? He was talking about an experience where he looked at some brightly colored clothing on, on uh, Instagram, and now he gets all these like trashy pieces of clothing as ads that have no relevance to anything he wants to buy. And then when he was on Netflix, he watched one show, uh, and now every recommendation is all the same style of show. And he's like, I don't want to watch these other things, so why is this so and there's a bunch of reasons for this, but John, what's been your experience with recommendation engines? Are you finding that when you're using you know, anything from Amazon to Netflix, or whatever, that the recommendations are on target or are they off target? How do you, how has your experience been? Yeah, it's it, obviously it's first generation, early stage stuff. I mean, once in a while I do get wowed, you know, I'll buy say a docking station and there'll be a recommendation for a couple cables that normally go with that. And like, that's fantastic. That's right on the money. But at the other end of the spectrum, I've got my key tester here from uh, AliExpress shipped straight from China. Very exciting stuff, right? On the nerd front. Yet for some reason I get an email every week from AliExpress about hair extensions. And <laughs> I don't really understand why I would want hair extensions or, um, Female clothing, too. That's always in there. But the weird thing is I just get that, and I don't get nerd stuff. So, yeah, I think it's just such early stage that there's a lot of garbage out there. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that are happening behind the scenes on these. One is there are so many different algorithms when it comes to recommendation engines. And with big companies like Amazon and Netflix and stuff, uh, one of the primary considerations is how computationally expensive an algorithm is to do recommendation. Um, doing something like clustering, which is you know nearest neighbor, hey, people who bought this also bought this, is, is cheap and easy, but it may not be accurate. Um, and then the second consideration is what data you have to work with, which is a, a much bigger limitation. There's a whole bunch of information that could improve recommendations, but consumers don't necessarily want to give artificial intelligence that level of detail. Like you can specify, you know, here's my age, my gender, my sexual orientation, you know, my, my other likes, and you could calibrate on that. But some of those things are protected classes that 
Yeah, you shouldn't be using an algorithm, uh, uh, or at least if you're going to use them, you have to demonstrate uh, clearly for auditors why your software is not biased. So the bigger challenge then is how do you, what's that, that balance? And it seems like if you're getting hair extension, <laughs> that um, it's not quite there. So what's the fix for it? What do you, when, when you think about a recommendation engine, you know, are you being asked to give feedback on their recommendations at all? Yeah, that's another fantastic point is that I have seen there is at least some work going into gathering more data about that. Like with Amazon, it's great because you'll get all your your history and you can actually go in and click and say, okay, no, don't show me these anymore, which is the classic scenario of, you know, you're going to buy a gift for somebody. You don't want 50 more of those gifts, you know, just because I bought my daughter a... Um, uh, LOL, you know, one of these plastic surprise toys, I don't want to see LOL dolls for the other 51 weeks of the year. So being able to flush stuff out is very important. And then the other one is you can also use that as a win too. You, the other option right there is show me more. So if you were shopping for something, you want to come back, you can just drill through and get more. So that, and then the other one, which has surprised me is the ad networks not having enough knobs and switches on those. You know, when I'm getting ads on Facebook, I should be able to say, hey, I already bought that. You know, I mean, just shut that down. And that would give them some knowledge about what else they could show me because now I've, they know I've converted, which they other way, otherwise wouldn't get. And then, yeah, a lot of times you don't have the option to just say, no, stop showing me this entirely. You know, I don't need to see the the hair weaves anymore ever. Like that's just a complete waste of everybody's time. But um, so, it, yeah, at least there's more data collection going on at that. And I don't know, how about as far as architecturally? Because it seems interesting that you could have you could have the data follow the customer or you could tie it to the product. I mean, it seems like it would make more sense to anchor things to the product because then it's not PII and, it, you know, there's kind of permanent links you could do. Yeah, so there is there is that. Um, but going back to something you just said, one of the the big challenges that you're going to get with recommendation engines um, is that the networks, especially for ad recommendation engines, don't have an incentive to to not show ads. Right? If you think about it, there's no incentive for me to, to as an ad network to not keep spending your money, even if the customer's <laughs> already bought the thing. I mean, we've all had that experience. You go on Amazon, you buy this thing, and suddenly you know you're getting retargeted for like I just bought that. <laughs> um, but there's no communication from the merchant back to the ad network to say, yeah, don't show this to this person anymore. It's it's not relevant. Um, and you know, Facebook and Google Ads and and TikTok and whoever else gets paid on the impression. When you look at the reporting behind the scenes, it's all it's called eCPC and stuff like that. It's all CPM ads. It's still they are still earning their money on. I got to show this thing a certain number of times to get paid. And so <laughs> there's it, it's a point of confusion for me why advertisers are not saying, "Hey, I don't want to pay you anymore for this um, once they've converted." I put the tracking code on the the form, so if you keep showing it, I'm not going to pay you for those impressions anymore. I don't, have, has you ever run into an ad network that's actually agreed to that? Well, there are, yeah. There's a couple networks where you can do cost per conversion. You know, they usually charge a 10x or some insane, you know, uplift on that. But it could be worth it on the product. Yeah, I think it's. It, an interesting point. It's just in the fact that it's so much additional work to lay the pipe for all that data 
that nobody's willing to <clears throat> go the extra steps to make that happen. But you would think that in the long run, somebody would finally come out and say, hey, you know, we guarantee you're going to do 20 or 30% better because we're filtering out all this garbage that you'll never have to pay for. But I think that's just a, it's a matter of time thing. And there's so much going on in that space between the vendors and the tools and the outlets. And it, it's just kind of this high, high seas pirate mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the other thing is that on the recommendations, recommendations typically only follow paths that people have followed. It's very similar to attribution in that it looks at the, the things that clustered and clumped together, but they're not behaviorally or psychographically driven in a lot of cases. They're just simple associations. And so what tends to happen is that you get stuff that is categorically similar. So if you buy a microphone, you're going to see, at best, you're going to see like cables that people bought with that microphone. There is no psychographic data that says, if you bought this microphone, maybe you need a camera to go with it, or maybe you need a green screen, or maybe uh, you need some sound baffling, or hey, maybe you need a book on how to record good audio, because the machinery does not understand that. The classic example of this is in the supermarket. Uh, stores have gotten really good at point of sale. If you go to some of the smartest stores that do this, and you go to like the feminine hygiene product aisle, there the smart stores also have a, a, uh, either an end cap or a mid uh, aisle uh, pop up for chocolate bars. Like psychologically, it makes total <laughs> sense. Biologically, it makes total sense, but those are not items that are going to be clustered together in a standard clustering analysis. And so a recommendation engine will miss that. We'll go, Oh, uh, these are not related. I'm not going to show one or the other. Whereas humans go, well, duh, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think that speaks to the fact that a lot of the folks who are doing this MarTech stuff, uh, you know, don't have subject matter expertise, don't have domain expertise in things like psychology and anthropology. You've done a ton of stuff in MarTech, you know, for the stack and flow podcast and things like that. When you talk to vendors, how many of them have any kind of anthropology or ethnography or any kind of expertise like that in their technology teams? Well, th that ends up being, you know, a primary determinant of who's going to win or who's going to lose, you know, because you, what you find is that the winners are the people that have that domain knowledge. So it's usually somebody on the team that is like, hey, this is the problem that I face every day. So I'm going to build this to fix it. And on the other end are the people who are like, hey, we've built this widget. We just have to find somebody who has this problem. And you know, those people never win. They never are able to find their part of the world of people who want to buy. So yeah, that kind of knowledge right there is what separates the you know, unlocks the demand. If you can't get that knowledge of what people are looking for and why they're shopping, you're just never going to crack the code on it. Um, and it's, yeah, and it's the same thing what we always talk about with marketing automation tools in that you have to build these from the ground up. And it's very easy to go through the three-week sales process and buy the tool, but it's four years of work to build email sequences and figure out the dependencies of the products and map them all out and AB test them. And, you know, that's all the hard work, which unfortunately mar most marketers are just way too lazy. They're not up for that task whatsoever, you know, because it's, I see, I think about with Amazon, like every book, if you buy any series for any kind of book, like you should just automatically be entered in a series of like, okay, you read this fourth Stephen King book 60 days ago. We should be pounding you with the next Stephen King book, you know, around the clock. And, but it's, it's just a lot of work to build that kind of web and to, to figure out how that all works. And yeah, I don't know if the average cubicle uh, dwelling person has the, the guts to, to do that extra work. 
Oh, or it may not have the ability to do it. I mean, when you look at algorithms for, around recommendation engines, they go from very simple, like, you know, K-nearest neighbor clustering or K-means clustering, all the way up to, hey, you need a deep neural network that, you know, is, that has, you know, 400 layers, and it's constantly needing to be retrained with active learning models in order for it to improve, but it, it, the improvement really scales. Again, the challenge with that is Amazon can't do that. Even Amazon can't do something like that because that is so computationally expensive for the size of data they have. They have to do sampling. They have to do subsets. And you know, obviously, anytime you subset data, there is always the risk of you're going to get less than the full picture. When you're a small company like you know the, the size like a, a Trust Insights is, we don't have to sample. But then we also don't necessarily have enough data to get a realistic sample versus the marketplace overall. And so one of the challenges there is how do we Say, how do we use our data and then extrapolate and figure out what does the bigger marketplace look like of all the people that frankly have never heard of us because we're just too small to to build that. And so for recommendations like engines like that, you almost have to do lookalike modeling. If if you think about lookalikes in advertising, lookalikes and recommendation engines are very much the same thing. As long as you have enough of data to to, to form a, a point of or a recognition, you can then go and start hunting down other stuff. Um, I was building a, a tool for um, a, a writing group I'm, I'm in. There's like a thousand different authors and a thousand, you know, 10,000 pieces of writing. And all you really need to fingerprint an author is one or two good sized chunks of text. And then using uh, machine learning algorithms, you can figure out, okay, here are the other pieces of text that are stylistically similar to this one. So if you liked this story, you'll probably like these these additional stories because they're very similar in language and tone and emotion and emotional arc and all that stuff. Whereas when you're doing like product stuff, there's actually a lot less data to work with because you don't, we don't know why the consumer bought this thing. Like you go onto to Amazon and you buy a lavalier mic. If that's your only purchase, there's no context around why you made that purchase. So Amazon's got to be like, okay, we're just going to guess <laughs> about the other things. Like here's a wrench uh, and, <laughs> and test it out and see like, did, did in, you know, for the thousand people who saw this, this, who bought this microphone and we, you know, we showed 50 of them a wrench. How many of those 50 bought the wrench to go with it? You know, zero is like, okay, that didn't work. Um, and that's where, again, a lot of marketers are not willing to not willing or not able to put in the extensive amounts of testing needed uh, to, to see like, is there, are there associations we don't know about? There's a concept called perturbation testing, which is where you, like 5% of the time in any kind of test, you just throw in a random thing. Like, you know, here's a, here's a salad, <laughs> you know, here buying a microphone. Here's a salad. Does that work? No. Uh, but sometimes that's the only way that you can find those things that are, are a little bit out of the box. And even then, you need a lot of traffic to do it. Yeah, right. But that does seem to be the holy grail for somebody like an Amazon that it's just impossible to know every single combination of every purchase and what goes with other things. And hopefully you would, at least on a regular basis, be unearthing stuff that that you can then just continue to clone. The other thing is that it, Amazon in particular does this, but even we do this. Uh, the recommendations are sometimes a little self-serving. Uh, like Amazon says, Hey, we're going to, you know, I don't know, say uh, Sennheiser comes to Amazon says, Hey, we want to be number one in the recommendation engine for anything microphone related. And they can put their thumb on the scale and say, okay, Sennheiser is going to get shown 16% more of the time. When you go onto the trust insights website, if you look at the end of any of our blog posts, there's a, you might also enjoy reading. Those are not, contextually based on the content of the article you read. Those are based on what we call most valuable page assessment, where you look at the pages that 
are most likely to lead to conversions. And we put 10 of those into um, a randomizer. And so the five are shown at any given time because the, the premise is if you're reading the article and you see one of those other five that you like, you know, a lot of our content is stylistically similar. Um, but we know those are more likely to get you to convert. We're going to try and boost our conversion numbers that way, even though it's not a the truest form of recommendation. It's it, because it's not data-wise related to the, the post you're reading. So there's that other aspect of recommendation engines too. Is you may be shown things that are in the interest of the of the company, not necessarily the interest of you as the user. Yeah, right. It's a lookalike detector. Is what that really is. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I would say for anybody who's trying to figure out how to do this stuff that's an easy win right that's an easy sell to the to the boss to say like hey we want to try doing a content recommendation engine on the blog and we're going to feature content that has that helps convert i, I can't imagine there are so many people like no 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 we don't want <laughs> yeah, don't do that <laughs> we don't want more conversion we want less conversion um but that's a good place to as a, as a stepping stone to get started with a recommendation engine it can be static it doesn't have to be you know some real-time crazy machine learning thing you, and you can start out with batches on this stuff have you seen this being done anywhere with podcasts yeah you know at, apple is the leader of that one it's kind of like okay hey you like this podcast here's five other podcasts that are similar to that and so they're just doing you know, raw numbers as far as like, okay, the people that download this have downloaded that stuff. Um, yeah, I can't say that I've seen anything very smart or intelligent where the recommendation wasn't just like for other marketing podcasts. You know, it would be interesting if somebody was like, you know, hey, this is a tr this is number one over in true crime or something like that. So yeah, and, and then you also, it's it's as bad as consumer goods and that you really just know that they made the download. Like you actually don't even know if they even listened to it. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it could have been that they downloaded it, listened to 30 seconds and said, Oh my God, this is terrible. I never want to hear this again. <laughs> so I get, you know, you could at least try and limit it because they do, you know, if you don't download the last three episodes, I think you get, you know, disabled, it stops auto downloading. So you do kind of know what's hot and what's live, but yeah, it's only the most basic, you know, kind of, Oh, you like this, check out that. Yeah. The one to watch is going to be Google, the new Google podcasts uh, thing, because Google has shown again and again that they are willing to invest in like the text mining and the transcription of rich media content to figure out what it is. People like when you read how YouTube's recommendation engine works, you know, they actually published the paper, the academic paper on it in 2016. And it's like, okay, they look at your search history, they look at the query, then they look at the video, the title, the description, the tags, and the automated transcript. They can detect the words in what you're saying uh, and match that with the behaviors and, and other things to recommend videos. I can't imagine they wouldn't repurpose that existing code for podcasts. And so having good clean audio and having you know audio that's on topic with what you want to be known for and be found for is going to be i would imagine be just the base level like here's what you need to to do well with google podcasts now the question is whether google can actually get anyone to listen to the podcast on their platform yeah and it's you know that's uh, it brings forth another thing as far as these ad networks you know i would love i would gladly throw down a thousand bucks a month to drive traffic to marketing over coffee you know to have ads run next to 
Entrepreneur on Fire or some of these other casts that we know that when people like this, they like that. But really, everywhere I've only seen is like, you know, no, unless you're Ford Motor Company and you're going to drop 150 grand, like we're not interested in your thousand bucks a month model. So there's still there's still growth and hopefully things will you know get more advanced on that front because yeah, I'd like to take advantage of that. If you had a way to model um, the propensity of people to visit other sites, maybe through SEO data, would that preclude you from like reaching out to like, you know, uh, I don't know, somebody else's marketing podcast and say, Hey, do you want to, you know, I'm willing to pay you, you know, private inventory space uh, for this. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally wouldn't be against that. But yeah, you know, podcasting is definitely a very tribal thing. I have uh, have talked to certain partners about that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, God, no, I would never share anything with you, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it seems like there is a, a opportunity for some network advantage. You know, I don't see why four or five podcasts with similar topics <clears throat> or with some kind of complementary things couldn't all get together and you know, get their marketing dollars to go farther for them. So, but yeah, I don't know, it's just never come around. It's weird that it's always been on the production front. You know, you get somebody like Gimlet that says, okay, we have a lot of popular people, so we're just going to get under the same roof and I'll make shows. Whereas I've never seen four existing shows say, okay, we're going to give up a little piece of the land. It's uh, maybe too complicated to make happen. Huh. That might be a good... Uh, exercise for something like you know Saturday Night Data Party or whatever. If we can figure out what the co-locations of different podcasts by domain name are. Are you know, it, you know for example, every what two months there's another top ten podcast in you know business to listen to kind of thing, and it'd be interesting to see which cast of characters repeatedly shows up around a given show and say, okay, these are the ones that may not be you know like you said they may be complementary instead of competitive. Uh, let's use that as the basis for forming a consortium or advertising together or even directly targeting uh, searches for that domain or searches for that show name uh, in your, like your pay-per-click ads. Cause if you know, everybody and their cousins listening to, you know, uh, Michael Port's podcast and, and it's always co-located with marketing over coffee, it might be worth paying just to, to advertise if, you know, if there's inventory on his site or something like that. So there's opportunities there to essentially build your own recommendation engine because the technology is the same and use it to target your advertising. So that could be fun. Yeah, no, I would definitely be up for that. Cause I said, I think there's potential there. You know, I think there's no reason why shows can't help build each other's audiences. Um, is that nobody is ever like, Oh, I only want to watch one Western, you know, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> yep. So to wrap up recommendations, engines suck for a bunch of reasons. One thin data or bad data Two. Uh, self-interest by the recommender, three, computationally expensive algorithms. And the takeaway here is if you want to try uh, recommendation engines, could give some real thought if you have the technical capacity to building your own. And if you don't have the technical capacity, hey, reach out to us. Uh, go to trustinsights.ai and drop us a line. If you have questions about it, go over to our free Slack group, trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers with over 1,200 folks uh, who are hanging out, asking questions, making, discussing the stuff like, like this all the time. And who knows? We might try in some of these experiments that we're talking about because I think there's a there there in using recommendation technology to help better targeting of advertising and maybe even content distribution. Again, if you've got follow-up questions about this, please leave them in the comments uh, wherever it is that you're consuming this or over on our website, trustinsights.ai. I'll talk to you soon.
Take care. Want help solving your company's data analytics and digital marketing problems? Visit trustinsights.ai today and let us know how we can help you.